Welcome to Lonely Girls, a podcast dedicated to examining, archiving, and applauding the loneliest girls in media and pop culture history. My name is Madeline Turner, and I have just been wandering through the moors, um, creaking through a manor, um, and getting spooked by um, sounds coming from the attic. Um, I haven't checked in with her lately, but I'm not sure if my podcast host, Rebecca Botter, has been doing any of the same things. Uh, hi. I I can't say so. It sounds like you've been on quite an adventure this week, Madeline. I really have. I, um, I've befriended – not really befriended. I've just um, been put in – in charge of a ward, mm. um, just a sort of belligerent French ward. Um, and I'm teaching her to be a civilized little girl. And I am also accidentally falling in love with potentially her father or just mm, daddy. Just, um, no, well, yeah, that's yeah, really yeah. funny because I don't have a little French princess However, I do have a calico that's going to kill me one day. <laughs> and I don't think it – I do – I actually have so much affection for – what's her name? What's the girl's name? Um, uh, Adele. Adele. I love Adele's Adele character. Adele I love Adele so much. Um, great job, me Benny. Too. Because too. Um, I am I am attracted to little brats and yes. um, my kitten, as soon as, uh, well, she's not a kitten anymore. I have this great video on my phone of, I like dumped out my thrift finds. And I feel like this is so Adele, is Rosie has to have everything I just got and she likes to sit on it. <laughs> but I bought too many things. So she's running around, <laughs> grabbing all of it and just going, mine, 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 <laughs> And then just like lays on as much of it as Possible. That is very Adele. Very that is very Adele. And I love Out of her. anyone in this, uh, oh, uh, just so you and reader mm-hmm. and readers, uh, we are talking about mm. the British pop star yeah. Adele of who um, loves to take other people's coats, <laughs> as my cat has and, done. And is just sort of a belligerent French brat um, mm-hmm. from like the, the 1840s. Um, no, we're talking today about Jane Eyre. Which I told Maddie um, a little bit ago. I am so excited <laughs> to discuss this. Oh, I've we're been so excited. I've been trying to like seduce Maddie into talking to me about it earlier. And Maddie was like, I think we should wait. For the podcast. And I was like, yeah. Maddie, I want to talk about Jane Eyre now. Rebecca will send, has been sending me text messages where she's like, I have a thought about da da da. And like, she's, she's almost getting me every time. It's so seductive. We're like, all I want to do is just talk about Jane Eyre. But I was like, we have to save it for the podcast. I know. We have to save it for the podcast. Stay strong. Um, we have Maddie. to, um, we have to, um, we have to abstain, <laughs> um, until podcast. Okay, so Maddie, I've got to know, before we can talk about Jane Eyre, what was your lonely girl moment of the week? I had quite a lonely girl week. Um, Sometimes I think lonely girls just need breaks Mm -hmm. to to exist in themselves and experience their loneliness at the the full potential. And so I uh, famously – 
wrapped on the shoot that I was a part of and have, have basically just like a chunk of time where all the work that I have to do is pretty self-motivated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I chose this week to take a break and just have a week where I stared at my phone for a thousand hours and um, I don't know, like cooked things and wandered around places. And I I took myself on a little date to the Huntington Botanic Gardens. I do love a botanic garden. She does. She does. I, I'll do anything to wander around a bunch of different plants with in different signs, areas. But with different with signs, signs to tell that you. That tell me about about the different plants. And what I love about a botanic garden is that they always have a cafe. There's always a cafe inside a botanic garden. And there's always just like some disgustingly overpriced pastry um, and a cocktail or two that I can purchase uh, and, and, and is ultimately worth it. And so my Lonely Girl moment this week was um, wandering around the the Huntington Gardens, um, finding this just like this like beautiful spot where I was like, that is where I will be. It was sort of, it, it was uh, unoccupied, if you will. And you like walked into it. It was almost like an atrium of sorts and it had all these little chairs around it. And like you walked into the space and I think just the way that like the structure, the the materials were structured where like you could hear everything. It was so immediately silent that like from 50 feet away, you could hear like someone crinkling like a page as they like flipped a book over. It was so silent. Um, And I was like, this is where I need to be. And so I got my overpriced pastry and my cocktail and I wandered back over to this quiet beyond quiet spot and um, just sort of like quietly quietly consumed these two things um, and got eaten alive by mosquitoes because one thing I didn't realize is like – and why a lot of people weren't there I realized is because the plants – that um, it, it was a more tropical vibe, mm-hmm. and those those tropical plants, mosquitoes love them. Don't and we mosquitoes, all love tropical locations? Oh, it's so true. And mosquitoes love me. Um, and it did make me think of our, I would say, a very lonely girl moment where yeah. we um, decided to go out into the middle of a forest mm-hmm. um, in. Georgia in July Mm -hmm. with our nightgowns on and our hair in loose braids um, and have a photo shoot and proceed to be basically eaten alive by mosquitoes for art within within a span of like 10 minutes. Like it it was so bad we had to immediately drive to a CVS so I could get lidocaine uh, cream to rub all over my legs. And um, it is but, one of my favorite memories with you. <laughs> really? But yeah, I love it. So famously, Maddie and I kind of exist on each other's phones. Um, mm-hmm. She's like my little phone genie. And it mm-hmm. was one of those moments of we had never experienced anything like this, though I consider her my cosmic sister. We haven't gone yes. through very many physically perilous things. Yes. And yes. gosh darn it, did we just uh, get quite far. 
We really did. That was my lonely girl moment is I'm getting eaten alive by mosquitoes mm-hmm. while I sipped on a ridiculously priced cocktail and sat amongst um, the foliage and the dead, dead silence. Right. And it was great. Plants are famously quiet. Okay. What was your lonely girl moment of the week? Okay. Thank you so much for asking, Maddie. Oh, so um, I'm about to get you from your lonely girl moment of the week to what we're going to talk about. Oh, so insane. So insane. So I too Her once mind. went to a botanical garden with my friend Emily. I tell you, mm. when I tell you I got, and mom's not going to like this, when I got more day drunk than I ever have been in my life, that was a $20, <laughs> what? No, okay. I'm, that, that was a, t- that's what happens at a botanic garden. You just get day drunk. <laughs> So true. But I got, uh, they were like small glass of wine, large glass of wine. I was like, large. They were like, that's like at least $20. Here you go. And I was like, good grief. Not worth my money. It was too worth my money, honestly. Yeah. I was, yeah. could not find my car, which is good because <laughs> I needed to sweat that out. But I had to go to the yes. bathroom so bad. But I went with my beautiful friend, Emily, and we were both like, oh, we've just ended it with boys. Are we ever going to find love? Well, guess what? She's like engaged as all get out. I'm literally Whoa. next week going to help her find her wedding dress at the store I work at. Oh, my gosh. It's, it's about wedding dresses. It's about wedding dresses. So, y'all, when you work okay. at a wedding dress shop, appointments are usually an hour and a half. I do four appointments a day, and then I do that five times a week. So I do six hours of appointments in a day, five times. Yes. I do about 30 hours of clipping women into wedding dresses, talking about wedding dresses, thinking about wedding dresses. I am mm-hmm. around wedding dresses so much. I had a dream last night where I was like, oh, will Kimberly's couture couture ball count come in in time? I had a nightmare <laughs> about that. It was terrifying. I literally had a nightmare yeah. of Kimberly's couture A-line skirt, mm-hmm. which is so well mm-hmm. constructed. It doesn't even need crinoline, guys. That's why you pay for couture measurements. And I'm sorry you've got to pay $3,000 more, honey, but you're going to be saving money in alterations. It's all I right. think about. I think about wedding dresses. No, and, and I I say this too. I I always say that. <laughs> I think about wedding dresses more than anything. Which guys, guess what it's like to go on first dates and telling people you work at a wedding dress shop. Um Ooh. but anyway, so I had ah. I had a nightmare about the wedding dresses killing me. And I think that is quite lonely, girl. For one, to have Mary did Hail Mary did tell us that we can't accuse uh we lonely girls can't claim ha- having dreams because we did say yeah. that it was very lonely girl to have a dream <laughs> and mary no 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 i thought i thought it was specifically it was very lonely girl to have a nightmare oh to wake up in a cold sweat she, that was mary also was said like, you can't claim that mary <laughs> is um the she is a great observer and information grabber she is a paleontologist of lonely girls however yes. she has decided scientifically Lonely girls can't have nightmares. That's not just well, if it's our thing. science. It is science. But um, but yeah, having nightmares about wedding dresses. Um, but I I think speaking of nightmares in wedding dresses, I think it's I think it's time to talk about our topic, Maddie. I think it's time to get in. I Are you impressed with entering. me? Are you impressed with me? I am. That was real. What I love about um what this podcast has turned into is 
I transition us somehow from the intro to our topic and you transition us from the lonely girl moment into the topic. I try. That's like we've established our roles in in the flow of this podcast. I really appreciate it. In. Ayo. Okay, so we are about to enter into our <clears throat> Jane era. <gasps> ah, Nadi. You were so clever. Okay. And that's why you love me. <laughs> that is why I love you. That's why you keep me around. Yeah, I know. That's why that's why all the boys love me is because of my cleverness. Speaking of boys loving cleverness. <laughs> We're about to talk about Jennifer Ayer. Jane, I wish Jane was short for was something. Was a name that was short for something. Mm. So, if you don't know what Jane Eyre is, were you even in tenth grade English? Exactly. Um, that's exactly the question I want to ask you. Mm-hmm. We both were in 10th grade English. Famously. And we both had experiences with Jane Eyre. But we we have um, had very, I would say, unique interactions with the content at large. I think it's one of those when, – when they – in the pantheon of literature written by women for women, Jane Eyre tends to come up a lot. But it is – it's something that I feel is a little bit more respected than – like the Brontes are considered a little bit more elevated than mm-hmm. an Austin. Um, they're a little bit more prestige. So um, I will ask you what is your – what's what's your history with Jane Eyre? How do you, how do you relate to this bitch? Okay. <laughs> well, this bitch. I read her <laughs> at some point in high school and I remember really little conspiracy is I wonder if Jane Eyre, people lump together because it's a lady writer girl, Jane Eyre and Jane Austen together. I feel like because we all love, if you love one, you don't always love the other, but they get lumped together. Since they're both called Jane, I think it's kind of like good PR. I think it's a smart move. Oh, Um, absolutely. So I read it and also talking to Very Smart Kate last Saturday is she did make an observation that she also liked it more in high school because she was very moody, angsty, and so was I. Mm. And upon revisiting, where I tried to listen to the audiobook, Tandy Newton, I was listening to the audiobook. Tandy, you are so talented. She does Jane Eyre? I didn't know that. I It took three hours oh to get through Longbourn, and I couldn't do it. And she was, it was just yeah. more angsty than I remember, and it reminded me too much yeah. of uh, Manchester, Man, Mansfield Park. Okay, so, yes. Maddie, relationship to Jane Eyre. Oh, wait, one second. Yes. I also feel more um, used to the plot and very comfortable with it because I read two really good, like, fanfics. I'm using quotes in the YA section. Yes. Yes. I read one called Plain Jane, which is actually really good. It's very like, oh, like ghosts. It's very campy. It's very fun. Yeah. And then uh, Jane, which is where he's like a Mick Jagger rock star and she's the nanny. Um, oh, and it's like a, it's like a, it's it's like a modern, modern. telling. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I was about to both ask, are good. I, oh, okay. I I was thinking. I was like, I don't I don't know how you would do Jane Eyre as like a clueless adaptation, but mm-hmm. yeah, I, I guess like sad aging rock star with child to mm-hmm. nanny is pretty good. Yeah. And so that was your relationship to the book. Mm-hmm. 
I will talk about my relationship to the book first, and then we will have to dive into my relationship with the adaptations. So I, I've talked about him before. I had one good teacher in my entire life. His name is Mr. Wechter. He was my 10th grade English teacher. He changed my life. He's the most brilliant, beautiful man in the world, uh, knows how to tap dance, has been on Family Feud, was incredible. Like he had a way of making the most jaded, just out of it student be so interested in whatever he was talking about. Like he knew how to get you thinking about a book we were reading, which was incredible. We had an assignment that was like our most difficult assignment, most difficult assignment of the year. And it was called a dialectical journal. And it's a it's a way that you sort of format a paper where you're taking quotes from a, a piece of work on one side of the paper. And then on the other side of the paper, you are uh, writing your thoughts and examining the text. And so it was this huge project that it was like, it ended up being like 70 pages long. You basically had to take 70 quotes from the text and then write thoughts on that quote. And I have never done an assignment on time. I have never, uh, you know, paced. <laughs> I've never paced my work. I've never started a deadline um, at a correct time where I should have finished it. Yeah. So I read, we had to do it for Jane Eyre. Mm -hmm. I love that you have like gardening shears <laughs> near your face. <laughs> I'm, I'm out of water, so I don't have anything to do with my hands. Oh, no. So we had to do this uh, for Jane Eyre. And I I went to the library at my school after school every single day, and I worked on this assignment. It, like, meant so much to me, and it felt like the first difficult assignment that I knew how to do, where I was like, I, I know how to pull quotes from the text, and I know how to, like, talk about my feelings about it. And I ended up getting, like – the best grade I've ever gotten on anything from this text for, for Jane Eyre. And I think after that, I don't think I ever did well on an assignment ever again. I actually don't think I did another assignment ever again in school. That was it for me. But because of that, not even because of that, I think, I think Jane Eyre has always just been something that has always really interested me and I've always been really fascinated by. And as as I've gotten into adulthood and have been subjected to the adaptations of Jane Eyre, um, I found like I'm I'm a little obsessed with adaptations of Jane Eyre. Like I, Rebecca can attest to this. Yes, there was a period of my life of like six or so months ago where I was like, Rebecca, I can't talk. I'm watching every adaptation of Jane Eyre back to back to back to back to back because I don't like the book that much. And there's no part of the book that's really like my favorite. Um, and there's no part I'm ever like looking forward to or any characters that I really love that much. But I love seeing how people adapt it. I'm always really interested to see how because it just sort of has a really cohesive vibe that it just sort of like hits a lot of the markers for me in terms of what I want to indulge in. And so apparently my ideal piece of, of media to consume is Jane Eyre. I will watch any adaptation, like any single adaptation you can find out there on earth. 
I will watch it. And I can say that for nothing else besides Dune. (laughs) True. Um, Or (laughs) Hunger Game with puppets, listen to. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. um, Warner Brothers call us. Um, (laughs) So good. But um, no, that actually makes sense because I kind of hate Jane Austen fanfics of like modernized things. But I actually, the two of Jane Eyre I've read, I really enjoyed. And I also, as soon as she said, um, as soon as Maddie said, I don't really look forward to a certain part. I'm always kind of like, what are they going to do with Bertha? And then that's it. And um, because I find the characters not very fleshed out. So it's more like, what are the actors going to plug in with it? Um, It does feel like the adaptation, like because the book Jane Eyre isn't something that I like love, mm -hmm. like the way that I love reading Pride and Prejudice. It doesn't, it doesn't hit that thing for me. I'm excited to see how a film can elevate the text. And I feel like, Unlike a lot of adaptations of books that I love, Jane Eyre is always elevated by an adaptation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it's fun to watch because I don't I don't love the book that much. I don't care about the book that much. I think it's important and I think it's really fascinating and I think it's fun to talk about. But that's like – it's more fun to talk about. It's more of like a jumping off point for conversation and uh, I would say like dissecting – the sort of roles of women in that period of time and how a, a someone who I don't think would have identified themselves as a feminist, but was absolutely a feminist author, you know, went about, uh, I would say, cataloging her, her philosophies on life. Well, also um- – Kind of leading into the next part, um, I think actually how both of us prepped, did you listen to um, Dr. Octavia, what was her last name? Dr. Octavia Cox. Dr. Octavia Cox. Did you listen to her video on Virginia Woolf discussing Jane Eyre? I have, not recently. I listened to it a while back. I've listened to all of her lectures on Jane Eyre, which are fantastic. You guys, Dr. Octavia Cox is like, if you want to just like really love a piece of literature in a way that you did not expect to love it, she also has like, hello, I'm Dr. Octavia Cox. She has this like really like just lovely sort of Mm. In like she's got a good voice. In like and we and we we love good voices. In the in the kookiest little earrings. Um oh, but one We love her. One thing that I think leads into our next section really beautifully is um we're gonna talk a little bit about uh Charlotte Bronte. Oh, first let's talk about pronouncing things. So one of the things yes. we're working on really hard, um, we are just we are just learning from the women before us. So I listened to a two-hour podcast by the History Chicks. They actually checked in with the Bronte estate on how to say Bronte. Good on them. Mm-hmm. The Bronte estate yes. responded. And so that's how we're going to be moving forward we will, as we well. We will go about. Is Bronte yes. estate said, listen, when we do tours, when we talk to the public, we say Bronte. Technically – People around them would have said Bronte to them. However, it is yeah. so wildly, widely said Bronte. 
we still say Bronte. And one of the reasons yes. why is um, the Bronte sisters, their father was named Patrick. And he decided how Bronte was spelled in that it had been spelled so differently throughout generations. And Patrick then came up with the definitive spelling. So that's why we're Ooh. confused on how to say it is they just figured out how they wanted to spell it like right before his kiddos were born. So that's why it's confusing. And and he he wasn't expecting his kids to be famous. Boo on him. Boo. You should have been like brown or something. Make it easy yeah, for come us. On. Come but- on. No oolots. Oomlots. <laughs> yeah. Isn't the, that the thing, well, the two dots? That's that about? actually, with knowing what their dad was like, that is so him that he would put in <laughs> yeah. something special like that. That's so funny. Okay. So we're going to talk a little bit about the life of Charlotte Bronte. Just like we did a Jane Austen two-parter, we're we're not really great at caring what people are interested in. Uh, Unfortunately, no. Um, and I don't know if we'll ever really care. We just we know you will care. Um, it's not yeah. bad. We believe in we believe in you for caring. We know that you're little sexy, smart, lonely girls. So yes. um, we would love to do that later. But w- I listened to some history about uh, Charlotte Bronte, and the main thing I want to bring in, particularly for. Uh, this Jane Eyre episode is so many interesting things, but I kind of see Jane Eyre as fanfic or honestly yes. like uh, a like, romantic idealization, a daydream, yeah. a yes. lusty just obsession. A fantasy. A fantasy. Yes. That's what I'm trying to say. And a very well-written yeah. fantasy. Um, and one thing that Virginia Woolf said about – Octavia Cox is our favorite, I believe, classical uh, English professor on YouTube. I love that yes. she is like only a f- couple thousand uh, views and apparently uh, Maddie They're and I both us. love her. <laughs> <laughs> We're like Maddie. It's just us watching her videos over, <laughs> over and, and over, over again. again. But um, we love her so much. But she did an episode on this is so, this is so, I me and us, but um. She does an analysis of Virginia Woolf's analysis of Charlotte Bronte in Charlotte Bronte's Jane Eyre. And Virginia Woolf said about Charlotte Bronte, we do not read her because of her characters, because they are elementary and kind of two-dimensional. Um, we do not read her for her humor, and we do not read it for her philosophy, but for her overwhelming personality which i love and that's going to lead us into i think this overwhelming personality yes. came for this from this very very important relationship in her life where um to learn how to hopefully be a great governess though she did not love teaching she was sent away to the school in belgium where she was so great they were like hey can you stay to teach English and you can stay here for free. And there was a teacher there that she became so infatuated with. And it seems from the history books, he was not grooming her. He was not seducing her. It it was very much, I think, daddy issues in that he was this super intelligent man who understood her. And saw like her brilliance. And especially for that time was like a really big deal to champion 
a woman's intelligence and brilliance and encouraging mm. though he didn't yeah. he encouraged her to teach he actually didn't encourage her writing which is interesting but her father was very mm. smart and told them they could read but he wasn't a very affectionate guy so this teacher she eventually had to leave because it was so clear to everyone how big of a crush she had she would write her him so many letters that he would not answer that he eventually had to limit her to two letters a year like which is so like like to limit not even being like hey girl my wife is really pissed stop it instead he was like hey charlotte like i don't want to like hurt you i'm gonna limit you to two yeah. letters a year because this is becoming too much Ugh. and so and after that her first book Ugh. that she wrote was called the professor like this was a relationship and a dynamic this was like a defining a defining dynamic if not in her be life be defining because she later went on to be married and unfortunately within 6 months her father's greatest fear came true she died in childbirth um but yeah. i don't think that's the defining thing i think it's this with this no. professor in her like it's mid this guy 20s. it's it's yeah it's this sort of god like this like emotional like not even like an emotional affair but like an mm -hmm. intellectual affair and i think it's feeling seen and feeling valued for her mind was so i mean mm -hmm. so intoxicating i can't even imagine i cannot even imagine especially at that time how lacking she would have been in that type of validation, especially from people in positions of power at that time, men, and being able to get that from someone who seemed to be kind and nurturing. Huge. My heart's, my heart's going her. like – And also like Mrs. – I know. I just want to give I her know. a hug. And um, I'm going to drop this in really fast. I think a lot of girls can relate with this. When I had just graduated, I was underage. I was 17, and there was this guy in college who, when I was revisiting Jane Eyre, I was like, oh, my gosh, my first uh, – I don't want to call it a romantic relationship because it wasn't. Um, there was this guy, and he had an engagement ring in his back pocket, but he met me during community theater, and he would talk to me about, like, out of nowhere. And for one, he was not good looking, um, just felt important. But I was, like, this goody girl yeah. who was always honest with him and always told him what I was really thinking. And then out of nowhere one day, he just started telling me how amazing he was, how he, how he saw me more than anyone else had ever seen me. And I hadn't gotten a lot of attention like that before. So I was so overcome with it. And he was like, my, my girlfriend is beautiful and hot, but, like, she's terrible and so bad for me and you are so good and you bring out the best in me and um he was like I'm yeah. gonna give you a makeover I hate your clothes I'm gonna buy you new clothes and I was like no I don't want you to buy me new clothes but and <laughs> I wouldn't let him a little TMI but I like I wouldn't let him touch me I was very uncomfortable with that and towards the end um and I'll just kind of end it here one of our last interactions we were in his car and he just opened his hand. He was like, put your hand in mine. And I let him. And he held it for a couple of seconds. He was like, see? <laughs> he's like, he's like, it's okay. We're getting somewhere. Baby steps. And that was the one of the last times I saw him. And I was underage. And he was a music uh, 
pastor uh, in my hometown, and uh, I thought I could trust him, and I couldn't. And I... But it ended up being something that really overwhelmed uh, your young adulthood. It took over the next couple of years, and it was quite, um, in almost every single sense of the word, was quite chaste. Quite, uh, but it was me being yeah. this pure good thing that he made him realize that he was missing. And, um, and then it mm. all came, it all happened to me. And I think so much of Jane Eyre's story is this, uh, very dynamic, very messed up man happening to her. And I've never thought of it that yeah. way ever until I was revisiting the story and I saw like, kind of an upsetting amount of parallels, um, which I don't think ruins Jane yeah. for me. I'm now not like that guy was Rochester. Now I hate Rochester because Rochester is honestly more of an interesting person. Um, so I would love for you, yeah. Maddie, can you sum it up with your great Jane Eyre? I did not know you wrote <laughs> uh, many quotes and dialectical essays. You know, a, a dialectical, a dialectical journal, you know, it's, not a big deal. I'm just a Jane Eyre scholar. <laughs> All right. So sum it up for us. <laughs> Dr. Octavia Cox, watch out. Okay. So the story of Jane Eyre is about a horrid little girl. I would say – no, no, no. She's not at all. She's a girl who's in like a, 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 a loveless sort of affectionless, abusive home life due to uh, her parents dying and her being given to relatives who do not want her around. Um, and so she is abused on all fronts. Like it's, it's, it's incredible like child abuse that she endures in her early years. And it gets to the point where her aunt is so um, fed up with uh, Jane basically, you know, coping with the abuse that um, she is sent to a mm, – I don't even want to call it a boarding school because that's not what it is. It is a, a school that girls would be sent to if they were uh, illegitimate children. It was basically like a charity school where hopefully these girls who were in sort of uh, like gentle, gentlemanly circles had connections. They weren't necessarily like low working class, but they weren't going to get anywhere um, uh, on their own social merits. So hopefully, fingers freaking crossed, you could teach them to be good, upstanding girls who could read and write and become governesses, which is the only job that a woman could have um, that wasn't like servitude. It is a really hard uh, social ladder to be stuck in between because like you can't go yeah. become a scullery maid, but like, you like get like a mm -mm. working job job, but then. But you won't ever, like you're not going to be marriage yes, material like no one's gonna wanna marry you for to anyone. Money. And, and you're, and the thing is like you're, you'd technically be above like, like a, a mistress of a home. And I mean like uh, uh, the sort of like the head servant who is one of the characters in the book. So she's technically above this woman, but below anybody else. It's very isolating. It's very <clears throat> lonely. Oh, tie in. But Jane goes to the school and has kind of like a – there's a very like heartbreaking 
sort of saga where she has a, the first friend she's ever had, the first, I think, person she's ever loved uh, on just a true, pure love level. There is a girl named Helen Burns. Helen gets, I want to say it's, is it scarlet fever? Is it typhoid? I'm not sure. Yeah, it's typhoid. I think I think it's typhoid. That runs mm-hmm. through the school basically. It runs through the school and uh, Helen dies. And that's Jane's first experience with real loss and real heartbreak and it really shapes sort of who sh- her identity as a person. And so we flash forward I think like 10 or so years. I think – I don't think she's 18 but I think she's like in her early 20s max. And now Jane has been teaching at the school for a while, but she is established to a point where she can go out on her own and make an income for herself. And she can get away from this awful school that abused her and um, uh, made her feel terrible. And so she goes to uh, work for a family or what she assumes is a family, but is actually sort of a disconnected web of sadness where it is a house that is owned by a man named Mr. Rochester. And her pupil is a little French girl named Adele Barons. And the only other person in the house that she really talks to is Mrs. Doubtfire. (laughs) Shut up. And then the housekeeper, Mrs. Fairfax, uh, who has been in charge of Adele uh, uh, only recently. So Adele has been like living in France with her mother, uh, who was a she was a French dancer, Maddie. Right, right. Oh, I'm so sorry. She was a French dancer. And that's all she was. Um, but Adele was living in uh, with her mother in France. Her mother died. And so Adele has to come and live with um, uh, the, the man who's been in charge of her care and keeping, which is a man named Mr. Rochester, who is unofficially or officially her guardian. And she is his ward. But there is sort of talks that Mr. Rochester is potentially her like illegitimate father, but that's neither here nor there. So we, uh, Jane, Jane sort of integrates into this life as a governess and teaching Adele and being able to kind of have her own independence and live in this house. I would say with like a, a modicum of of loneliness, but overall, I think she really she feels a sense of a, a sense of purpose and identity in this new phase in her life. But Mr. Rochester is always traveling. He never comes, he never comes back home. He's always out traveling the globe. He never comes home. But all of a sudden, Mr. Rochester is coming back home. And Jane is wandering. She's wandering the moors like she does. And she's almost killed by this man on a horse and Jane is in the middle of the road and um, the horse is spooked and the man falls off the horse and he yells at Jane um, and he's, you're a witch! He says, ah! Um, and she's taken by his brashness and his rudeness and she thinks he's a rude, horrible man um, and walks, you know, uh, helps him back on his horse, I guess. Uh And then she leaves and walks back home sort of thinking, oh, gosh, what a rude man I just encountered. (laughs) 
wouldn't you know it is Mr. Rochester. I know. I know. And so the two of them then spend, I would say, like, this is sort of their meet cute. And then they spend the next, I don't, an indeterminate amount of time just sort of getting to know one another. And Mr. Rochester in an interesting way is like, he's really fascinated by what Jane has to say. He likes the way that she talks. He likes how honest she is. He likes how pious she is. Uh, He likes that she knows herself and um, is interesting. She knows herself for better or worse. Or worse, (laughs) exactly. And he likes, I think he likes that Jane sort of is able to see the goodness in Adele and kind of kind of curb her impish ways. And so Jane, because she's never been around a man before, I think, um, and has never been given attention or has any has ever had anyone interested in her thoughts before, is kind of a little like almost immediately consumed by this man. I wouldn't say she would classify it as her being in love, but she's pretty Mm -hmm. consumed by him. And throughout this whole saga, um, there's this sort of like spookiness that um, this big old house that she's trapped in has where she hears sort of like crying sounds. It's very secret garden. Just lots of of spooky wailing. Um, that is attributed to like a, you know, a, a, a maid with a toothache named Grace Poole. There is our first sort of incident of, 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 of uh, it's our first incident where um, for some reason, Mr. Rochester's room is set on fire. And Jane, uh, I think she just like sort of senses that he's in danger. Like she just senses it. So she wakes up and she sees that there's smoke. She sees that there's an issue. She, she sees something is wrong. And so Jane ends up saving Mr. Rochester's life by waking him up from this fire. And um, uh, uh, he's able to put out the fire and he has to go. And they, I don't remember this from the book, truthfully. I just remember this from the adaptation because this is the moment where they just inject every single ounce of just sexual tension into the adaptation. They're like, they're both in their bed clothes. And she just she saved his life. She literally and had like, to he just sling saved. herself on top of him to drag his sweaty yeah. big body out of the bed yeah. to safety. But yeah. she only did it to keep him safe. <laughs> <laughs> and like God doesn't yeah. want us to not be safe. He doesn't, he doesn't so want like, him to burn so alive, like- <laughs> you know. Oh my gosh, no. No, that's for witches. And no one's a witch here. I mean, or is she? So this sort of I would say this is like this is like the the sort of juicy, fiery, inciting incident of their love affair. Um, there is a moment where like Jane is like, who in God's name set his room on fire who would do this she's like there's some shit going down in this house what is happening and mr rogester has to like leave he has to like go out of the room and like uh, uh, be like just stay he says stay here stay here and he wraps his coat around her um but like just because she was cold like that's it it was like because she was cold and like you wouldn't want her to be cold she might die of cold 
no. So then we move into sort of our, I would say like our act two, I guess, is, is this is, this is act two essentially is what happens post fire? What happens post danger? What happens post like sexual uh, spark of their relationship is this psychopath, Mr. Rochester just leaves he leaves, he like he's gone the next day. And Jane is all of a sudden like, oh my God, I I'm so horny for this man. I've never experienced these feelings before. Like we, we I've never, I've never even been in like the room of an uh, uh, the bedroom of another man before. He threw his coat around me. She's like, I just saw him in his nightshirt, which is a long dress and good grief. I saw his hairy ankles and I can't get it out of my mind. And I literally can't get it out of my mind. She's like, he understands me. He's everything to me. But like, who am I? I'm. And so she's going through just sort of like, a, you know, just some psychosexual trauma. All of a sudden, Mr. Rochester comes back. He comes back into town. And who does he bring with him? Oh, he brings a party. He brings he, – he's got company. And he never brings company to the house. He never does that. Accompanied by him is a woman named Blanche Ingram. And Blanche Ingram is the most beautiful girl in the whole land. And um, everyone is saying that Blanche and Mr. Rochester are going to get married. It's like obvious. Mr. Rochester is super freaking rich. And Blanche is beautiful. And she will marry rich. And she will have this big old house. Yeah, she'll be the, the they'll be the toast of the town. All of a sudden, Jane is submitted to even more psychosexual trauma. Um, she is uh, basically like there's a whole like gamut. This is a, a whole game that Mr. Rochester is like playing with Jane where he's making her spend time with Blanche and her mother and all of their stupid rich friends and it's horrible and everyone hates them. Uh, and – there's this weird thing where he pretends to be a fortune teller. Which movies and, uh, never depict. They always cut out that part. Yeah, because it's weird. It's really it's like the weird. The director's like, I it's respect like, it's, the text. We're going to honor the text. And then they get to that part and they're like, I don't. They're like, I absolutely don't know how to make not. This hot. Like, I'm so sorry. I, I don't know how to make this man I don't know how sane. Michael Fassbender. Dressed as a <laughs> is going to work. Um, it's going to work. So that happens. Ultimately, Mr. Rochester is sort of like he's not interested in Blanche at all. I don't really know what he's doing. I think he's kind of a psychopath. It's fine. Um, but they, you know, uh, eventually Blanche gets the hint that Mr. Rochester is not going to marry her. Many, 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 many things have happened. Another super fun thing that happened is a random man in the middle of the night, like, visits. He he just, like, visits. He, like, shows up out of nowhere, and Mr. Rochester is, like, not okay with this. Um, and uh, uh, in the middle of the night, that same night, there's, like, a, like a violent yell. This is another one of those, like, super mm -hmm. sexy moments. A violent yell in the night, where you said – yeah. <laughs> Girls love a violent yell in the night, famously. Famously. Uh, this man is attacked by someone in the house. He's attacked by someone in the house, and he is, like, 
seriously injured. Sometimes they depict it as like a stab wound. Sometimes they depict it as like mm-hmm. a bite, but uh, it, it, it's something that like could be fatal. And like Jane, Mr. Rochester is like, Jane, you're the only one. You're the only you're girl so here. Special. You're not like other girls. You're so special. You know Jane, how to be like, a doctor. Please come like – yeah, like, please come, like, hold a, a cold compress against this man's, like, open wound. Are you okay with blood? And she's like, yeah, I am, because I'm not like other girls with Jane. All that to say, this happens. Blanche leaves. She gets that Mr. Rochester isn't going to be with her. This whole, like, freaky, um, like, someone being attacked in the middle of the night happens. That guy leaves after the doctor, like, does what he has to do with him. And then Jane uh, is like, I can't do this. I can't, I can't experience all these emotions. This man is psychotic. I don't, I can't do this anymore. And so she's like, Mr. Rochester, you're going to marry Blanche and I'm going to go. And that's going to be fine. But like, I just need, I would like a letter of recommendation. And I guess that like makes him really horny for her. Um, because he then confesses his love to her and they decide to get married. And it's like, obviously, like nothing is, nothing is hotter than a girl being like, I guess you're marrying someone else. So I'm going to go always be willing to walk away. Advice from oh Nick my Fiel. gosh, I love how much Nick Fiel Maddie's listening to because I felt like such a little Lululemon set. No, I don't want to make fun of Lululemon. I've just felt like I take relationship advice from a guy that was on The Bachelor and getting the Wes yeah. Anderson of TikTok <laughs> to listen to the 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 vile files who he famously was The Bachelor. I would love. I would love to know what Nick Vial thinks of Jane Eyre. He would say, always be always willing, be to, willing walk to walk away. It, always be willing to walk away. And that's really important. That's so Anyways, true. Jane she was, was really willing plain. to walk away. She has also listened to the Vial She was files. willing to walk away. <laughs> she is listening to the Vile Files. Um, and Mr. Rochester is like, ooh, wait. Okay, I guess I should stop playing games with this I don't know, 20-year-old when I'm a weird 50-year-old man who's sad and weird. I should stop. And they decide to get married. As- <laughs> I should stop dressing as a fortune teller to go as a fortune. This former child. This former to child. Like, to like to force – This former child to force her to talk about how she feels about me unsuccessfully, by the way. Uh, But and and thankfully, this happens um, before my uh, spoiler alert brother in law gets attacked um, in my home. (laughs) Anyways, they decide to get married, and Jane is like, Oh my gosh, everyone is gonna be so excited for me. Everyone's gonna love that I'm marrying this man. Plot twist everyone is like, Oh, girl, you. this might not be a good idea. And she's like, I don't care. I just want to marry this <laughs> stupid old man who sees me for who I am. Um, and so it's like it's all happening. It's, it's getting pretty wild. And they get all the way to that freaking chapel. And um, 
what do you know? Our class, a classic Hollywood trope is, does anyone here have any reason why these two shouldn't be married? And plot twist, the guy with the wound from earlier runs in to stop the wedding and, and says, no, you guys can't get married. He's like, oh, sorry, you can't get married uh, because you're already married to my sister. She's like, what? Um, and turns out that Rochester, when he was very young, got married to uh, basically was sort of like conned into marrying a beautiful woman who had a bit of a, a, a she was not as mentally stable as one would would maybe want in a mm-hmm. partner or at least would want to know about before they decided and to make that commitment. one thing that Rochester says that actually does make a lot of sense. You don't really usually spend a lot of time with someone before you get engaged. Like, honestly, Jane and Rochester had done. But um, he usually yeah. just saw Bertha at big parties and public settings and times with yeah. family. And that isn't the best yeah. way to figure out if someone you're dating is sane. If you only hang out with them yeah. at parties. No. Yeah. Like you should be – like you should try to get some one-on-one time with your future partner before you marry them. That's just mm-hmm. advice from us. But like we're not experts. <laughs> we'll run it past Nick Fial. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Turns out um, this woman, her name is Bertha. Not only is she still married to Rochester, she is trapped in an attic um, at the home that Jane has been staying at for X amount of months. I don't know the timeline of this. Could be years. It could, I, I have no clue. Um, and she is mentally quite unwell, and it's very unfortunate. Um, and Rochester, of course, is still married to her because divorce really wasn't a thing that happened back in those days. I don't think it was really allowed. Um, and so he can't get married to Jane. They can't have a legal marriage. And he does try to sort of be like, no, baby, like, I love you. Like, you can just, you know, like, <laughs> no, baby, I love come to Jamaica, Jamaica with me or whatever. <laughs> Listen to her Sex in the City episode. He's like, but like for real, for real. He's like, he's like, no, baby, I love you. Let's go to Jamaica or whatever. And she's like, ooh, I kind of have a problem with this. I'm kind of like not okay with this. And I, I understand. I get it. Um, so Jane uh, runs away in the middle of the night and has um, then like a very bizarre Nancy Myers fourth act where she like lives a whole life where she like almost dies at the home of these two sisters and a boy who's a preacher and she becomes like a school teacher in this like rural area and the guy like falls in love Not with her really. but like, no no he doesn't he just says he just says he wants to marry her because she's so good and they make sense together even though he's in love with someone else. And then Jane finds out that she inherited a bunch of money from this like random uncle who died recently or died years ago and her aunt never told her about it. And then her aunt dies and finally tells her about it. So now Jane Eyre is rich and her being rich allows her to finally be, be like, well, I, I have power. I can be worth it to my stupid old man who I'm so horny for. So she goes back to the home, uh, uh, this Thornfield. She goes back to Thornfield. That's what this stupid place is called. 
wouldn't you know, Thornfield burned down. It like burned to the ground. And do you want to know why? Because Bertha um, did what she loves to do, which is set her wedding dress on fire, walk around the house, burn everything up, and then throw herself off um, a, a spire or something. She throws herself off the window. So Bertha dies. But but Jane like isn't there to save Honestly, Rochester. Jane would have fixed this lickety split. Like, like we know that. Like, she already did. And I don't know exactly how fire equates to blindness, but Rochester does go blind, and he has been blind for a long time. So now he doesn't have a home. He doesn't have a wife. He's blind AF, and Jane is rich. So now they're finally Because he's equals. a man, and so a blind man with no money <laughs> – equal to a woman with money with with like a massive fortune like a brilliant young woman with a massive fortune and i do think mm, i think charlotte bronte was onto something all that to say it ends quite happily quite happily where um they get married oh and like her love like returns his sight to him and at the end of the book Charlotte Bronte writes, and reader, I married him. One of the him. best lives of all time. So blah, blah, blah. What were you talking about? Oh, autobiography. I No, okay, but I think just because she has listened to so much Nick Vial, I think the moment of Jane telling Rochester, like, hey, I'm going to walk away, that's where the fantasy of – that's where the fantasy, I think, of Jane Eyre begins. Because honestly, it becomes Absolutely. quite fantastical. It's like more grounded really? in the first half. And then at the end, she's literally at her cousin's, her hot cousin's house, and she hears him cry out in yes. her brain through their cosmic connection, Jane, Jane. That's the reason she goes back. And it's interesting because she's like, I'm too good of a person to be with someone who's already married. And then when she's yeah. like, lulls, never mind, I got to go back. And then by the I time have she goes money. back. But then she goes back and she's like, okay, I'm willing to sin now. And then she doesn't yeah. have to sin because Bertha uh, burned down the house and now she's dead. Yeah. So yeah. um, anyways, yeah, just – that's just the story and it is – there's just – I don't know exactly why there's more to unpack in Chain Air than I feel like anything else we've covered. So this might it's, be one of the longer so, ones, but there's – This is – there's so much here. But nothing happens. I was talking <laughs> to Maddie. Nothing happens. Like Jane makes three decisions. She's at the school, so she decides to put in a announcement or a – an advert, an, an advertisement into the newspaper. <laughs> so that's the decision. And I include that in going to the place where she got the job. And then her next decision is to pretty much leave Rochester. Because once again, yeah, that's Rochester it. just happens to her. I and also he's sort, you, of like, he's sort of just like, he's like, no, come on, come on. Come and over she's here. Like, okay. I'm literally, look at me. I'm dressed as a fortune teller. Um, <laughs> and she's like, oh my gosh, is this what men are like? I think so. I'm kind of into it. But anyways, yeah. and then she chooses to leave and then she chooses to come back. Rochester, on the other hand, we're not going to list out how many choices he makes. <laughs> because this man cannot stop choice. making 
every single moment. So, but Jane makes three choices, three very (laughs) strong choices. Yeah, considering the fact that Rochester is making a strong choice every five seconds, he can't stop. Yeah, uh, he can't stop pulling her leg. He can't stop joshing her. He's like on his horse when he first meets her, and he's like, "Well." I hope you like Rochester. And then he like rides away. <laughs> like his first interaction with her is messing with her. Can we talk about, okay, I am getting such like big energy from Rochester. Yes. And I do think there is something really enticing to a lonely girl about just sort of like, it's not, it's not a whimsical man. It's not like a Peter Pan type. It's not someone who's like young. It's an older person who's like kind of constantly strategizing. Like they're constantly trying to like get the better of you and constantly trying to like analyze the situation. Yeah. Which can be very attractive, I guess, at first, but ultimately is so exhausting and, and toxic. Weird. But by that time, you're like so in it. You're like, I've put in so much work into like being able to figure you out. And it turns out you're just crazy. You're I, just totally psychotic. And I, oh I my guess, God. Gosh, there's so many places I want to go off that. For one, Kieran Hines actually, as I was watching the what is it? Oh, I just want to tell a funny story. What year is his nineteen ninety six? Yeah, the so the persuasion is nineteen ninety six, and uh-huh. I think, I think Jane Eyre is like ninety five or ninety seven. It's like so, right there. I love that we can't get away from Karen Hines. So he did we really one can't in the nineties. And I messaged Maddie this clip, this super clip of Karen Hines losing his mind. <laughs> Falling off of his horse. And <laughs> he is going, rah, 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 rah. like, I am, yeah. am I exaggerating, Maddie? Not at all. No, he, no. And, and Rebecca said, Rebecca said, Kieran Hines is playing Rochester as if Teddy Roosevelt was cast in the role. And he's not wrong. No. Um, but it is insane. Did it's it? Absolutely insane. But did it work <laughs> for me? Yeah. I just want oh, to watch someone I mean, make a choice. Yeah, absolutely. Make a choice. That's the thing with that's the thing with Rochester. You gotta make a choice. You gotta make a choice. So like just the, like the he 2006, does. Many. <laughs> so many choices. But like actually, one of my favorite choices, and we're we're gonna get to Bertha because that's really important. But there's the dynamic I think between Bertha and Rochester is so important, and I think all of these actors know that. And there's always something quite uh with Karen Hines and I texted Maddie this because as an actor I don't think it was scripted it was so specific of Bertha is gonna hurt Jane she's gonna hurt herself and he raps because he's a large man and she's a tall large woman and I remember that being specific in the book and he wraps his arms around her until he can get her to stop trying to hurt everyone in the room and he lays her down he just in like just the corner, you see him kiss the top of her head as he lays her down. As it's she's like very and paternal, she, very paternal, and loving, he says like that, nurturing. And at one point, he does say, "Everyone's like, oh, you're bad. You just tried to marry Jane, blah blah blah." And he does say, and I guess the controversial part was like, was Bertha crazy or was she a woman locked up who became crazy? But yeah. he said, "I could have sent her away to a house to die. I could have like." 
kind of destroyed her almost. He could have killed her and no one would have been the wiser. Because even his... Her family knew that she was not mentally well. They they just wanted to get rid of her. Get, That's get why rid they, of her. They, they're the reason why that Rochester married her is because they basically were doing everything they possibly could to marry her off to someone so they wouldn't Anyone. have to deal with her. And honestly, are we going to go into our Bertha conversation now? Because we, we should. We would. We should. And but um and honest, but one thing I was going to say is Rochester said I could have locked her away, but I kept her here. Which I think for her situation, if she is as mentally ill as Charlotte Bronte wants us to believe, is kind of the most humane way, maybe. Uh, yeah, absolutely. To no, have no, a think, caretaker there, you know? No, absolutely. I think for that time, like that was probably him being really humane. But I also like – Maybe? I, I don't think, know. I think Charlotte Bronte is trying so hard to make us love Rochester. Mm. And we're like – Girl, why? Yeah. <laughs> like, why? Why this guy? Why this guy? I am sorry. We're going to keep linking it to this professor in Charlotte's life is because yes. I think probably people in her life were like, really, Charlotte? Why? Girl, why this guy? And we actually have all <laughs> been there. We've Everyone's all been like, into a guy, like so into a guy, so obsessed with someone. And everyone is like, Maddie, why? Why? Maddie, why? Why this guy? Like literally, why this guy? What about him? And you're like, I just, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. He just said something to me. And so I get it. I understand. Actually going to take it back. I think Rochester believes that this is the most humane way to take care of Bertha. I am sure if we sat down with someone, we could come up with a billion better ideas. I do strongly believe, though, that Rochester thinks he's doing his best. Let's talk about Bertha. For one, maybe let's talk about what Charlotte thinks of Bertha. Because you go. Okay, so there are two schools of thought in this, and where if if you look at it sort of from if if it if Charlotte Bronte is writing Jane Eyre from a sort of like fantastical, almost like cathartic, um, trying to exercise this demon that was her early twenties, this person who meant so much to her that she couldn't have, this Jane Eyre is, is her trying to exercise that out of her. I think Bertha can be read on paper very clearly as um like a mentally ill woman who is, I would say like not really she's sympathetic and sort of like relating to like our base human impulses of like wanting to care for someone who is in uh, a more disadvantaged position from us. But otherwise, I don't think Charlotte Bronte really writes her as someone who's entirely sympathetic. There is an alternate school of thought where perhaps Charlotte Bronte understood that what she was doing was sort of uh, enacting fantasy of, of her own life. And so in order to validate it, she needed to sort of give it gravitas and g- give it a sort of deeper meaning. And there's a lot of there's a lot of theories that Bertha is supposed to represent um, an aspect of Jane that that Jane has to lock up and keep hidden inside. So Bertha is wild. Bertha is sexual. Bertha is, unrestrained um and bertha is large whereas jane is small and meek but has like worlds inside of her 
and also has, especially, I mean, a big part of what Jane Eyre is, is just a woman encountering her own sexuality for the first time and being like super duper horny for the first time um, in a way that I don't think anyone prepared her for. And I think Bertha is a representation of – not I think. I I have listened to some lectures where Bertha is, is the ten, – Bertha is the high end of the pendulum and uh, Jane is sort of the middle of the pendulum. Uh, and there's this sort of ultimate person uh, on the more like truly pure, truly pious end that Jane is supposed to become. The Helen. Perhaps. Yeah. No, I think that makes – that's like – that's a really – that's a very apt uh, comparison because those are really the only – There's not that many characters. No, there's really not. And like sympathetic, like female characters that you're supposed to sort of, I guess, like root for. Um, Or at least Helen Burns was someone – or one of the teachers um, at – Lowood. school at Lowood – um, where I do believe I found Helen Burns annoying, but I do believe we were supposed to aspire to her. Can I throw out yeah. another thing I've read or do you have more to elaborate on that? No, no, no. That's just sort of like, I think there's, Bertha can be sort of concrete as a character and be examined that way, but you can also look at Bertha in a more metaphorical sense and sort of like she represents everything a woman was not supposed to be in the Victorian era uh, and everything that Jane is sort of encountering for the first time, feelings, experiences within herself that this man is bringing out. And the idea of her being an attic, I think is like really, she's like locked up, hidden away. There's something really, even if it's not intentional, there's something, there's a, there's such a psychological metaphor to something being hidden away in an attic. Whether we like it or not, it is such a direct connection to things that we have, you know, deep buried in our subconscious that we're not willing to look at. Another thing I've read is – I'm just going to read a quote because it's better than what I can do. But sometimes people say that Bertha symbolizes – Bertha is a symbol for many cultures exploited and repressed by the British Empire because Bertha and Rochester met in Jamaica. Uh, Bronte, writing Bertha as the quote-unquote mad woman, represents the fear that the English had if – what's this called? Miscegenation? Miscegenation. Can you spell it? Um, M-I-S-C-E-G-E-N-A-T-I-O-N. I believe it's the combination of like – British people and people of other cultures. Like if they like had any kids. sort of yeah. Ooh, okay, yeah. Which they were super against at the time. But Bertha could possibly represent the fear of other cultures coming to um the UK because it's kind of like you we can't let these people here. They're literally crazy and this yeah. is what happens so because they're I, crazy and they're sexual and they're just and they're going burn down your house yeah exactly well because charlotte could have made bertha from anywhere i know but she made but her she, from jamaica. jamaica i also forgot that she was from D- jamaica and it makes hey baby let's go to jamaica or whatever <laughs> so much funnier hey baby i love um, you let's go to jamaica. hey baby i love you let's go to jamaica or whatever <laughs> uh 
No, I, I think there's I think there's probably I don't think Charlotte Bronte was trying to like consciously make a point about colonization. I think those are probably her own internal prejudices and biases coming out in a way. And like not to say that she wasn't incredibly progressive for the time in terms of feminism, but I do think her choosing to make Bertha like a foreign woman mm-hmm. was – I don't think she was trying to use that as a way of uh, intentionally using it as a way of uh, representing her own like xenophobia or – I think it was – I think I, it just came out that way. <laughs> or I think it's just shorthand. So like I famously am from the South um, and yeah. so this is not the same, but I'm going to use it as shorthand. I personally get really sad and offended that I've gone to a lot of theatrical productions and et cetera, where if a character is supposed to be stupid, the shorthand for this character is stupid. Instead of yeah. playing the character as written and using your skills as an actor to make this point about the character, yeah. people will just put on a, a Southern um, accent. A Southern accent. And or uh, as and yeah. I'm playing a dumb person, and I think just in her culture, I I agree. I don't think she was actively being like, guys, don't marry women from Jamaica. I think she was like, this is a shorthand. He went to Jamaica, and everyone yeah, was exactly. Like, oh, he went to Jamaica. He went. He went to Jamaica. He went to Jamaica. I no, and I think that's really interesting. And I I mean. I don't – I the thing is I famously will watch any and every adaptation of Jane Eyre. If, if tomorrow I found out they were doing another adaptation of Jane Eyre, I would be like, hell yeah, bring it on. Because I think there's always a way of elevating the text in a in a interesting, unique way. And I'm always down to see any director do it. Like I would love to see like Yorgos do Jane Eyre. I would love to see like Ari Aster do Jane Eyre, like a traditional sort of like – I don't know. Like really turn it into like a genuine horror about the feminine experience. I I yeah. No, I think it's because it is horrifying. Because okay. it is horrifying. It's a spooky freaking book. It's a it's spooky. I, also, I told Maddie this, I'm very proud. Jane Eyre is purple. It's just the color purple. Every single yeah. copy of Jane Eyre has purple. The lights are yeah. purple. She wears it's purple. purple. It's a purple book. She wears book. purple. It's a purple is book. Purple. So here's the question that Maddie and I – no. Here's the question that Maddie did not let us talk about. Save it for the podcast. Yeah. Um, are are Rochester and Jane good for each other? Because the movies want us to think they are. Sometimes he's even not blind anymore because the love is so yeah. good. But they yeah. always have a baby and then we go from purple to like light springy green, which yeah. is not said in the book. It just says I married him. But they're like, you know what? Happy ending for them. <laughs> they should have children. They seem like great parents. These two seem like they would be, oh, they should procreate. Oh my gosh. They should mm-hmm. procreate. I think that Jane and Rochester are not good for one another. But what we were able to sort of briefly touch on, Rebecca, you and I, is that, and you said this, they both are not people that I would want to hang out with mm-hmm. separately, together. Um, but sometimes those people deserve one another mm-hmm. um, and are right for one another and they are the only people that can make each other happy. And so I don't necessarily think that they're, right for one another but like 
I think they're sort of the type of people who would like make a choice and really stick it out. Yeah. Clearly, Rochester is yeah. the type of person who makes a choice and he's like, well, I stuck with this. And, and I also, true. And also, I do think they are, they do deeply know each other and they know each other's yeah. like, I think all sides of them, I think their best side is their worst side. Like they're only one side. And I think yeah, they're, they're both, both terrible. <laughs> Just not they're a both fun sad hang. and hair. No, they're, and I think they like that about one another is like, they're both like so used to being part of a society that expects them to be like for her good and proper and for him to be sort of charismatic and charming and a good time. And the fact that they can just be like miserable little fucks around one another is probably going to sustain them in a marriage much longer than uh, other th- reasons why people get married. Because honestly, Like compatibility and security. Because right, <laughs> let's think about it. They don't like anyone else. They don't like anyone else's company. Like she can tolerate Adele, but like Adele's annoying. Yeah. Her, Mrs. Like, Fairfax is annoying. Everyone is angry and is annoying. He hates all of them. He hates all of his Everyone's friends. Everyone's beneath him. She's the yeah. only person who's worthy of his company. And so I don't know. I think uh, – and, and I will as say – As long as keep that up. I think at some point they might not believe that necessarily about one another, but they're willing to buy into that fantasy about one another. And I think that's why they'll work. Deeply burn for each other. And I mean like – Oh my gosh, in the 2006 is in Jane is like having a fantasy about Rochester and she's like <sighs> she misses him and she's like I have to go and he's like don't go and I'm not going to like perform the scene um because but it's this like is, you guys should I will say my one of my favorite things that so sensual If you okay so like what I love what I love about Jane Eyre is like every adaptation is trying to do its – they have their own philosophy that they're trying to inject into it. One of my favorite things about the 2006 um, Masterpiece miniseries is that they're like, this is a horny hot love story and we're going to turn this into a horny hot love story for you guys <laughs> and you're going to like it and they do a great job. Like you, if you want to buy into Jane and Rochester – if you want to buy into their love, you watch the 2006 version, 100%. Without I, a doubt. I think it's no, I don't know, Karen Hines fan, that <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt really got me going. Um, and honestly, that's how good of an actor he is. I By the end, when he says to Jane, um, when he realizes, I'm blind, you're back, I can't see you. And he said, oh, Jane, be, like if I – the thought of never seeing you again makes my heart want to burst. And he's like mm. searching around for her, but he can't see her. And oh, I just, Jen. oh God, it, I mean like that, oh, was it sexy? No, but did no. it make, did it move me no. more than most so things? So that's the thing. Yes. I think, I think the 19 version is like the most, I would say like romantic in, in all senses of the word. Mm-hmm. The 2006 version is the sexiest. The 2011 version with Mia Washakowska and Michael, Michael Fassbender, Fassbender. It's, <laughs> I it's probably he's like definitely the most famous actor involved in these and you can't remember. I know. His name. I and I'm like, who is it? I think that one is like the spookiest. Like what they mm-hmm. do with that version is they lean into like how kind of creepy it is. And they're not really like trying to make it a love story. They're trying to like freak you out a little bit. It's kind of a thriller. Um, there's a version that came out in like 
the late 90s with Charlotte Gainsborough, which is okay. It's fine. I like the first half of that one more than I like the second half of it. And I'm trying to think think if there's another one that I Did should Did you ever recommend. watch one of the black and white ones? Oh, honey, I don't want watch black and white movies. What am I, a newspaper? You gotta watch black and white movies, Maddie. I'm kidding. They're the talk of the town. They're the cat's meow. I love black and white films. I love classic cinema, but not. I think Jane Eyre should be in color. Yeah, yeah. I think if I'm gonna have purple in it, or I'm not touching it. Oh, listen, honey. I'm not. If it doesn't have purple, I'm hurting. Yeah, I didn't follow that. Okay, let's let's put on. Um, Maddie. A Lonely Girl Lens. Famously. Let's put on a Lonely Girl Lens. Lonely Girl Lens. Who's the... Is Jane a Lonely Girl? Oh, we need to talk about... Wait, we need to talk about the shy girl. Okay. Hey, guys. We have a confession. Yes. So, when Rebecca and I were conceiving this podcast, Mm. the concept of Jane Eyre was one of the first topics that we even put out onto the table. Maddie was in the throes of watching every single episode. This is me in my in my Jane Era. And all I could do was watch Jane Eyre adaptations. And this is why I know so much about it. Jane Eyre. Um, and 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 Rebecca and I were were sort of trying to pick apart and sort of dissect, which we have a much better understanding of now, mm-hmm. um, thanks to this podcast. And also, like, I think our lovely viewers sort mm-hmm. of relating to the concept of lonely girl, we were trying to distinguish what a lonely girl was. My instinct was that Jane Eyre was not a lonely girl, that she was, in fact, another archetype that we referred to for a long time as a shy girl. Mm-hmm. And I think for us, a shy girl represented a type of a type of character in literature and films and then also in real life an archetype to us that we had encountered at some point that rubbed up against our lonely girl in a way that made us uncomfortable and as we were sort of we've used the term shy girl to sort of like discuss things before i think we've even mentioned it in the podcast mm-hmm. before and jane eyre was always like our token shy girl But as we were prepping for this podcast and we were talking about if we wanted to like contextualize the shy girl, Rebecca and I kind of came to a realization. Mm -hmm. The realization was that the whole point of the Lonely Girls podcast is we're trying to make people feel less alone. And Mm -hmm. as I mean, as Maddie pointed out, and this was the mm, the dagger in the chest, uh, was by excluding a sect of people who also feel like they don't belong and we're excluding those people, that's pretty pick me of us. That's pretty like yeah. I eat burgers and she <laughs> eats salads. Salads. And honestly, I do think but and then also not the defense of this term, but the reason we came up with this term is because there is a different sect that we're still wanting to dive into. And the little anecdote that I I've used to describe a shy girl is the girl at the party that when you leave together you go did you have a good time and the shy girl goes no one came up and talked to me 
I no, mm. I didn't hang out with him. No one came to talk to me. And then yeah. how I would contrast the two is say, a lonely girl, even if she feels anxious, she feels stressed, she's going to try to make a connection. The shy girl is the one that blames everyone else in the room for feeling alone. And part of this came from once I heard a giant handsome guy yell in a room full of people, I'm shy. And I thought <laughs> that was the funniest thing I'd ever heard. And, and it was. And we discussed it and we decided shy is the funniest word ever. However, also <laughs> people do identify as shy. Um, and I think, and I think we don't want to exclude, not, shy girl is, is not f- the same as shy. No. And I, I do think being a shy girl is like a facet of lonely girl. Mm-hmm. I think it is something uh, 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 when I think I've been a shy girl at, yes. at points. I've absolutely been a shy girl, but Middle I don't school, think it's a sort of – I was the shyest ugh, girl. I don't think it's a sort of definitive term that like you're either one or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we all contain multitudes. But all that to say – Tying it back into Jane Eyre, I think we both went into this episode and like our research for it and what we were watching, uh, we both went into this being, I would say, sort of like uh, predisposed to believe that Jane Eyre was a lonely – or sorry, both being predisposed to believe that Jane Eyre was a shy girl. Mm -hmm. And I don't know about you, but revisiting – Jane Eyre as a character, as as a piece of media, I don't think she's a shy girl. I think she's really lonely. I think she is too. And I mean, she's someone – and also, like, who are we? She definitely has a lot of social anxiety, as Charlotte did and really well portrays. And being alone in a crowded room because you have social anxiety as something that I've had to work through, as something that you've had to work through, that's yes. not cool to la- uh, label it as your other because you're not – in the same place as we are. I do think you're still going to hear us roll around the word shy girl. Um, oh, yeah. It, it's, but it's more of like – it's like tough girl in terms yeah. of like – like they're like tough girls don't actually exist. Mm-hmm. Shy girls they're all don't in actually y- exist. <laughs> tough girls are only <laughs> in YA literature after 2008. And yeah, shy- only dystopian YA literature. And shy girls only exist after – or before, I don't know, 18 18- – 92. Yeah. So I think, so that is, and honestly, we brought you initially, we were going to explain a shy girl by telling y'all the story of Jane Eyre. But actually, I think we were just explaining Jane Eyre to you because we didn't like her. And so we were going to make her the patron of uh, and she's we're like oh we would never be like her she's absolutely we would when we read like i'm a shy girl every single day oh my god i've been jane Eyre in so many spaces i've been so felt so misunderstood and been incapable of saying the right things Mm -hmm. and obsessed with an old man who tells me he understands me and i feel understood we've all been there we are all, all. We've all saved our, a sexy man from his his wife setting his room on fire, um, and you need to throw your body on top of him, and that is how his his body touches your body for the first time. We've to all save been him there. from fire. It, we've all been there. That's not your fault. And we've all been willing to walk away. 
we all have been willing to walk away. Walk away. So Mm -hmm. we're going to move into some other characters, some other lonely characters, um, maybe some thoughts, questions, concerns. Favorite quotes. Favorite quotes. Favorite quotes. Rebecca, do you have a favorite quote? I do have a favorite quote. I'm going to read it. For one, okay. I, I think like we've kind of been covering it, but Jane, I'm going to talk about my favorite topic, hot people. I realized yes. every time I watched an adaptation, I went, she's too hot to play Jane or he's too hot to play Rochester. And I've accepted, I think, I fancy everyone. I find everyone, everyone so – because I think everybody is beautiful and yeah. like everyone has a reason to be looked at. And I want to – if you're a good actor, I want to look at you. And I think that's yeah. it. If it was a hot, bad actor, I would have been like, he's too hot mm. to play Rochester. Yeah. I just – I love to look at just – uh, people performing. Perform- I love a perform. Oh, also something that Octavia Cox pointed out to us is Jane would not be a part of the play. Is everyone was doing a play, and I will. Everyone say- was doing a play. Lonely girls do a play, so like maybe that's like her. Lonely girls do love a play, and Jane would not be in the play. She wouldn't do it. I know we did say Fanny was not a lonely girl because she wouldn't do a play, but like I still think Jane's a really lonely girl. I do think because of literature, though, she does say like Jane also would not be in a pantomime marriage with Rochester because he was married. She would not do a play of a marriage. I was like, okay, that is very brilliant. Here's a quote I love. Do you go for it? Oh, the best. This is the best line, I think. And please disagree with me. I'd love a better one. Do you think because I am poor, obscure, plain, and little, I am soulless and heartless? You think wrong. I have as much soul as you and full as much heart. And if God had gifted me with some beauty and much wealth, I should have made it as hard for you to leave me as it is now for me to leave you. I just got chills. There is like, I had to pace myself not to speed up because that is like, it, it is sometimes with classical literature, you're like, Huh, how do I analyze this? I'm slogging through this. But that is like, those are words I may not have said in the exact way. But like, I there's not a part of that that I do not understand. I do want to say in all the adaptations that I've watched. Yes. Oh, that's always like a big moment. When that quote is a big moment always. That's always just like a sort of sweeping – that – the that climax was... of that scene. Exactly. Exactly. Another moment that they always include mm-hmm. that's like verbatim from the script, which would be my favorite quote, which is um, at the very beginning, sometimes it's like the first line that Jane says, where um, there's the mean evil man from Lowell School who comes and I visits her aunt. Line. And he says um, – uh, Jane, do you know where wicked girls go when they die? And she says, they go to hell, sir. And he says, and what, uh, and what must you do to avoid hell? And she goes, um, I must keep in good health and not die. And I just think that's so like, uh. Like and 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 he gets so mad in every adaptation because she sasses him back. But yeah, no, Jane, I love I love that quote. It's so funny, and also, I f- I feel is probably like maybe one of the moments where I do feel 
not even sympathetic, but like I'm championing this mm-hmm. character. I And I feel like that's like the beginning if we were doing like kind of like a grungy like uh, version. That's when like the piano would be like bah! and yeah. then like it like all black with like gothic pink yeah, yeah, yeah. title would be like Jane. Ah. And then it would be like, I don't give a damn about my reputation. <laughs> bah, 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 bah. Every That's what new adaptation needs it. to start. But you know we could make that <laughs> lying down. It would be so bad and people would hate it so much. But if we did like a punk Jane Eyre, like a yeah. Marie Antoinette version of Jane Eyre. But you know we could go into pitch meetings. We'd be like, you know what Sophia Coppola did to Marie Antoinette? We're going to do that to Jane. Yeah, with Miranda, uh, not Brianna, do that to Jane. Yeah. If I will say, if I do end up mm-hmm. adapting and directing Jane Eyre, I will, as my mm-hmm. my promise to you, yeah. my promise to you, Rebecca Bonner, I will cast Robert Pattinson as If Rochester. you don't get Robert Pattinson to play, because what has he been prepping for his entire life? What, Edward Colin, this creepy this man breathing his, his foggy breath against a mirror. It's just <laughs> just being like <sighs> I will say I was like, if we were gonna fan cast Robert this, Pattinson, if we we're gonna fan cast this also, right now. Also like, as Jane Eyre, he no, should no, no, play I, Rochester. I think we need a couple I think we need a <laughs> and Jane. A play. It should be a sort of like um the Nutty Professor, where Absolutely. Eddie Murphy played all the roles. It should be Jane Eyre, but Robert and, Pattinson plays all and, the roles, and, including y'all, Adele this is why I do not take meetings in Hollywood regularly. Is <laughs> because, like, I <laughs> Robert regularly ever. I literally think Robert Pattinson playing every single character in Jane Eyre is a legitimately really good idea. I would say you're not far off. Like I don't I don't think it's I don't think it's a bad idea. No. I'm trying to think of like okay, if I had to make Jane Eyre right now, who I would cast for Jane, I think like a really annoying obvious choice would be like No, actually, I would cast Hunter Schaefer mm. as Jane Eyre. It's a really I good think one. it'd be really I think Hunter could do it. I'd I'd cast Hunter Schaefer cuz there's sort of like mm-hmm. an otherness about her face. And I think – I mean, the only problem is she doesn't – she isn't British. Mm-hmm. I don't know if she could do a British accent. But she's got that sort of like – I don't know. It's like a – I think like the obvious choice would be mm, maybe like mm, – I keep thinking about it. And I'm like, no. I think Hunter Schaefer would, is like honestly really hard – to top because there is there is something about her eyes that is like seen stuff and I think that is the thing about Jane mm-hmm. where often it's like big doe eyes in it, it well like not always in Jane but no. just in general in these uh historical pieces it's like big doe eyes and yeah. um Hunter definitely has uh seen some stuff uh okay I also like maybe like Isabella Furlong could be an interesting Oh, she yeah. She was in Hunger Games. Fox Face, right? She was the girl. Yeah, I think – yeah, no, uh, not Fox Face. Oh, yeah, the yeah, The girl yeah. with dark hair. She would be really Fox. good too. She would She's, be – She plays like the she orphan. She would be more like – She played the or- – Like conniving Jane. And I think like uh, Hunter yeah, yeah, yeah. would be more of like a 
wistful. Ooh, Maddie I have like role. a super commercial cast. Um, yeah. Daisy Edgar Jones from Normal People. Yeah. That would be like that would be the most commercial casting. So like my avant-garde mm-hmm. casting that like would just be me would be like Hunter Schaefer. And then I think actually you might even be able to cast someone like Robert Pattinson. I honestly you I could, like you want older, Robert like, Pattinson in like 10 years. But don't you think Hunter Schaefer and Robert Pattinson would have yeah. insane chemistry? Yes. Yes. They would. No, I think they're both they're both like weirdos and I think they would so get each other. The commercial casting is Daisy uh-huh. Edgar Jones as Jane and probably like Benedict Cumberbatch as Rochester. I just know Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell wants to do it. Oh my god, he wants to be Rochester so badly. He would die for that. Because he's like a more than my pretty face. But they and but they would have no yeah. no chemistry. Daisy Edgar Jones and Colin Farrell absolutely I'm to think not. Of someone else. Absolutely oh mm, no. Oh, what's his face? Matthew Matthew McFadden. He, you know he like he Ooh. famously he's not touching period pieces with a ten foot tail. No, he's like, I'm Darcy and y'all can fuck off. He's insistent on playing the not sexiest <laughs> characters ever. He he got all of our little teenage hearts a Twitter. And then he was like, well, now I'm going to yeah. be, I'm going to be in succession, mm-hmm. you know? And Rebecca's not going to watch the show, but she's yeah. going to watch six yeah, hours of the essays on it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, anything, yeah. any other great casting? Yeah. Um that's all I have off the top of my head. Ideal casting, Hunter Schaefer, Robert Pattinson, commercial casting, Daisy yeah. Edgar Jones, and like Benedict I feel like something wonderful is going to come to mind later, and I'll let you all know. I know. And that we're going to wake up in a cold sweat. We're going to have a nightmare, like lonely girls do. Sorry, like any girl does. Any girl does. Any girl wakes up. I think <laughs> lonely girls might wake up in a cold sweat unless they're sick. Any girl can wake up yeah. in a sick cold sweat. Anyways, oh, so so. Any other, any final thoughts? Any final? No, I just like. I'm almost sad that like we're done with Jane Eyre because it's felt like too. It's felt like I could talk about this for hours, and and perhaps we will do um, a Bronte sisters episode, Mm -hmm. and we can talk about Jane Eyre. We can talk about Wuthering Heights, and we can talk about the other one. There's actually a an audio book. I did not have time. It's like over 20 hours long, but I'm really down to listen to it if you give me enough of a heads up. Um, but yeah, I... You're such a rock star. <laughs> you know I love a good audiobook. Um, <laughs> but I'm not that Jane Eyre one. Um, okay, so what are your yeah. final thoughts on Jane Eyre as we wrap her I up? I think, like, like, what can we learn from Jane? Mm-hmm. What can we as lonely girls learn from Jane and implement into our lives to be ultimately more well-rounded, more sort of dynamic individuals? And I think um, uh, like set your expectations up front. Like if you're – this is basically just going to be like a podcast where we um, reiterate advice from Nick Biles' podcast. In Jane's situation – probably would find myself in the throes of um, a Rochester-esque affair. Mm -hmm. And I think it's – and and going back to my my original point, not Nick Biles, 
set your expectations up front. You know, if you're, if you're someone like Jane Eyre, who's like, okay, um, I'm a governess. I really like you. I'm like, clearly I'm into whatever this is, but this is, this is what I would like. If you happen to have, um, a wife trapped in your attic, like I'm not, that's not what I'm looking for. I have pre-decided what my boundaries are before we begin this relationship. Yes. I would say across the board for all of my relationships, I don't want anyone to have a wife hidden in the mm. attic. That's just like a cro- – and like I might have not known that before I read and watched all adaptations of Jane Eyre. Mm-hmm. But like I do know that now and like that is what I can learn from her is that um, if I'm dating a guy, I want him to be like uh, 80% there. Uh, I I want to be his eighty percent of his priorities. Yeah, eighty percent, and like maybe like the other twenty percent, like maybe just okay. Wait, 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 wait. You know, like that's that's all but I'm asking. Here's the magic question: If he dresses as a fortune teller, is that a yes or a no? Oh, okay. So here's the thing: Like, obviously, I want to say like, no, don't dress as a fortune teller. Like, don't do dupe me up. But I do sort of love a man who can perform. Yeah. I love a man who's like willing to commit to a bit. I love a man who like I need to I need to figure out um what you're about and I won't ask you directly. Mm-hmm. And there is something kind of sexy about that. There is something sexy about um a con. You know what? I could see us at like a birthday party and you like come out and you're like actually um Actually, Adam is in there and he's pretending to be a fortune teller. And he like got okay, me to guys. tell him I have a crush on him. I was like, and he like into tricked him. me. And then like, but he didn't oh trick you. And I would have been like, that's the stupidest thing <laughs> Like, and I'm like, but he, okay, but like, Trey, but he did a, like, like, he did a fully voice. dressed up. He like, he like fully like committed to the bit. I think that's what it is. He's like, Committing to the bit is hot. Yeah. And like that is what committing, I can learn from Jane. Committing is, to the bit is committing hot. Committing to the bit is hot. Okay. I'm going to give y'all a sneak peek into our relationship, Maddie and <laughs> I's relationship. So Maddie will not confirm or deny. I have been my most neurotic piece of sunshine this week. I don't know why, but I have been firing off in her text just letting her know that this is what she signed up for. And because of some trauma from a friend who was like, Rebecca, you are too much. I can't handle you. I, at different points throughout the week, was like, Maddie is going to friend break up with me this week. Don't confirm or deny this. We have a podcast to finish. And get right. No, we have a child. We have a child. <laughs> we, have a, we have a pod. We have a podcast child that we have to. I was um, like, stay she only is not breaking up with me in friendship because we have this sexy podcast that we have to keep alive. Yeah. But do you know what Jane Eyre has taught me? When you yes. know the worst, when someone knows the worst part of you, which I think Maddie, do you think you've seen the absolute worst, or do you think like maybe eighty percent? Well. Here's the thing. I think I think I've seen what you perceive to be your absolute mm-hmm. worst. But to me, I wouldn't categorize it as that being worst or great. Yeah. It's just- it's just 
It's just it's a part it, of the it, package. It's the, it's, the, it's the tapestry of who you there are. There we go. So anyway, she saw some it's, of it's my... the darker sort of purple she tapestry. Saw, she saw the purple part <laughs> of the painting. Just like... Yeah, exactly. Which I think that's so true that I think it's like my Bertha in the attic. But it's yeah. like Bertha's like chilling in the living room, Rebecca. <laughs> you know this, like right? She's watching Love Island. <laughs> Bertha is this throwing is back like, cocktails. But how I'm going to... This is your bottle episode. This is <laughs> it. This is not that special, Rebecca. And I'm like, she's finally seen. I'm so crazy. But um, yeah. but Jane Eyre is like, you know what? I like am not that fun to be around. And then one person yeah. is like, I think that's awesome. And Jane Eyre's like, yeah, yeah that's pretty cool. And like, that's it. Like... And if, and that's, and, and, if, and they'll be together forever. And if, honestly, if Rochester wouldn't have come along, she would still know who she was. She'd still do her thing. And honestly, I still don't think she would have gone off with her cousin. Like, I think no. Jane knows who she is. And when someone yes. just sees you and they're like, let's do this, then Jane just goes, okay. Like, and that's it. And I think I'll J- be who I am. Jane knows what's good and bad about her. She's accepted it. And I need to trust the people in my life to know. But they also see the good. They see the good and bad and they love you anyway. Just because one person told me I was crazy doesn't mean right. that other people will not also think I'm crazy and be mean to me. So right. I think we can. The thing that I love about Jane Eyre and we can learn about Jane Eyre is we can be crazy and people can still love us. We can be not that fun to be around and people can still love us. And people st- and you want to know what? They know that even when we're not being crazy and they still love us. Dang. That's the beautiful part. Lonely girls, you are so lovable. And uh you are so lovable even when you're being fucking insane. Not to gaslight you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but you're fucking being crazy that was a joke i told maddie and she thinks it's so funny and i love it's that. so funny i talk about it i i give i i tell that joke all the no time. and y'all not we, to gaslight but you're being fucking crazy yeah it's it's all on how you go <laughs> like on fucking. yes and yeah. um so anyways but no y'all we don't think you are we love you so much no um for we love you a lot we love you so much um maddie if they want to show you some love if they want to oh throw some pebbles at your window in the attic oh where gosh. you are imprisoned oh um yes. from big who took you to jamaica or whatever um <laughs> where can they throw those pebbles um they can find me at Turner Madeline on Instagram and at Madeline Turner on TikTok and Rebecca. Mm. Um, if they want to um, take you from your aunt's house and put you in a school where they make you stand on a stool and become a, a good reformed little girl, where can they do that? Well, I don't know if I want them to find me to do that. <laughs> but um, you can find me on Instagram at Rebecca Botter and on TikTok at Bada Rebecca. TikTok is um, something that I will go to where whenever I want and post something that no one wants to watch. But do you know what everyone wants to watch? Lonely Girls content. Go to our yes. TikTok where we're so close to 5,000 followers. I'm just like, ah, I just, ah, just give it to me. Um, so um, close. so, so close. Uh, where it's the uh, Lonely Girls podcast on TikTok and, um, Instagram. 
Instagram. Uh, we love you guys so love much. You. Lonely girlies. This is a reminder, as always, to stay lonely, but not alone. Mm, we love you so we much. Love you. Bye. Bye. Bye.